If you are looking for even more help and guidance on your breakup, I have a few different options for you to take your healing to the next level. I have four different online courses depending on what stage of the breakup that you're in from beginning all the way into moving on after heartbreak, or you can bundle all of my courses together and use the code podcast to get $25 off my course bundle. I also have my 30 day no contact challenge to help hold you accountable in going no contact with your ex. And we have our free Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with other people going through breakups all over the world. To learn more about any of these resources, head to the show notes where you can learn more about my courses, take the quiz to figure out which course is best for you, or join the Facebook group. And don't forget to use the code PODCAST to get $25 off my course bundle. Welcome to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast with your host, Breakup Bestie, aka me, Kendra. Breakups are hard, but you don't have to do it alone. Each week, I will be taking you through a different topic as it relates to breaking up, healing from heartbreak, growing in your single life, dating, and getting back into happier and healthier relationships. The goal of this show is to provide support, hope, tips, and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. Welcome back to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. Today, I am joined by another incredible expert. I am talking to Natasha Adamo, best-selling author, relationship, self-help, and high-performance coach with clients in over 30 countries. She is the author of the book, Win Your Breakup. And we talk about so much today. I've been a really longtime fan of Natasha. I feel like she was one of the very first people in this space to write about and talk about breakups in a very beautiful, dignified, and healthy way. And so we talked about a wide range of topics. We talked a lot about her book, Win Your Breakup. We talked about what does it mean to win your breakup, and it's not necessarily what you think in, you know, exacting revenge on anyone or playing these games that we so often hear about, but it's really about how to go through your breakup in a really dignified way. We talk about her famous concept, staying on your white horse. We talk about what does it mean to be with someone toxic and that it doesn't necessarily mean that they're toxic to everyone, but just how to recognize when a relationship is toxic for you, meaning that person is just not good for you, which a lot of us experience. We talk about what to do if you have someone up on a pedestal. We talk about how to increase your self-esteem. I feel like Natasha and I could have continued talking for hours. She is so fun to talk to. She is so poetically moving in the way that she phrases things. And so I am very excited to share her with you guys. Welcome, Natasha, to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. I am very excited to have you on today and get to chat with you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a huge fan. I looked at all your Although everything you put out into the world and it's wonderful. I'm happy to be on. I feel like you are one of the very first people online to discuss breakups and in my opinion, like a very healthy way. I feel like your blog was like one of the very first in this area. And I just would love to hear how you got started with all of this. I basically hit a point in my life where my life was not figured out by any means, but As far as relationships went, I still felt all these feelings that we will all feel always, you know, insecure, scared, lonely, unsure about certain things. I would still get triggered, but I got to a point in my life where I found a way to not let any of those very normal human emotions permeate to the point to where I was just emotionally paralyzed. And so I just set out, I didn't try to be a coach. I didn't try to be an influencer. I didn't try to, you know, do anything. I didn't really have any kind of business in mind. I just wanted to put out there everything that I wish I would have had. And I set out to answer every question I ever asked Google at my lowest and loneliest points in regard to relationships and self-help. I love that. One of the, obviously I don't talk about like, toxic and narcissistic relationships a ton on my page. But I do remember when I established this platform, I remember when I was in a relationship with my narcissist, I would Google, is this relationship abusive? And I couldn't find like anything on it. And I remember being like, I want to be a voice in this space just so like, I don't have to turn to Google necessarily and get like answers that I don't need. So I love that you were able to do that. And I know a big part of what you do is private 
coaching and I know you have clients from all over the world. And I'm always so curious because I feel like there's so much learning in like the one-to-one coaching. What do you feel like is like the biggest thing you've learned from your private coaching? Like maybe like a universal thing that we all deal with that you didn't quite realize, or I would just love to hear like some reflections well, you have like, from that. Um, I, I've never been to Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm I'm not an alcoholic or, you know, I, I don't drink alcohol for years now, but I have friends that have gone to AA and and that go to AA. And I believe, I might be wrong, but I believe that the linchpin of the ideology of Alcoholics Anonymous is one of my favorite quotes. You don't need to be completely healed to help another person, by, but by helping another, you will heal completely. And that is a sponsor, sponsee type thing, right? And so once I realized I don't need to have every proverbial T crossed and every proverbial I dotted and check every box, and I am still a work in progress, I was able to acknowledge the education that I had acquired from just surviving life experiences, surviving myself, my own toxicity, my own selfishness, growing up, you know, in some ways. And in a lot of instances, it's not like I was just able to pick myself up from my own bootstraps. Life gave me no choice but to execute. And I try to make sure that life doesn't do that for other people, you know, and try to get them ahead of that beforehand. But really, you know, as far as the coaching goes, that's what it is for me. I just give what I wish I would have had, have the utmost respect for the professional community. I'm so honored to coach many people from the professional community. And, you know, I don't try to be something I'm not. I don't think I can say it enough all over my website. I'm not licensed. I'm not certified in anything. My education is experiential. It's not scholastic. And I think the thing that's helped me the most is, and taken so much pressure off and allowed my true self to come through and allowed this education I've acquired that we've all acquired through going through life, you know, to really get put to use in the most productive way is I don't speak from any kind of psychological high horse. You know, I am right there in the trenches with the person. It's not like, oh yes, you know, I've been there and I can help you and let me be a way shower. I'm not a way shower of any kind. You know, I still mess up. I am still a hypocrite in some ways. You know, I'm still, I still catch myself doing certain things. I wake up every day and I just try to be a better person every day. But I have found a way that you can essentially call your own relational shots as far as getting taken seriously and being respected and not personalize somebody else's misery and when they project that onto you. Yeah, I love that. And I actually, I've been in AA for the last 10 years and you're totally spot on on what like the whole function of AA is, is helping wow, other people. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Okay. I'm glad I got that. I never yes. want to spun toes or offend anyone. No, it's no, you're like totally spot on. And, and I think that's such a, obviously I have a lot of respect for therapists to have gone to many therapists in my life, but there is something very powerful about more of like peer to peer kind of support. And alcoholics talk about that all the time. Like when they go to a therapist and the therapist is like, you're an alcoholic, you have these issues, you need help, you should do this, you should do that. It's like, no, I'm good. You can't tell me what to do kind of a thing. But if you listen to someone tell their story and hear what they did to get better, you're like, oh, they know what I'm going through. They've been there. And it's attraction rather than promotion. That's like a big part of of AA too. So it's like, let me see what you're doing. And the sponsorship thing is like, find someone who has what you want and, you know, well, it's follow connection. their lead. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's connection. And this is why I don't, you know, you'll never see me splashed all over the internet, promoting ads, you know, work with me, work with me. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be doing the one-on-one -on -one telephonic coaching. However, you know, I've done it for years and I work the best with people who are hungry and people who have identified that, you know, we speak the same language and mm -hmm. it's not about being holier than thou. It's not about this or that, but it's like, wow, this person understands me and I yeah. get them too. And, you know, I'm not going to judge them because I see myself in them and yeah. hopefully vice versa. So it's, it's a meaningful connection. Yeah. I love that. I really want to talk about your book, How to Win Your Breakup. And I think I saw it either on your social media or heard it in one of your podcast interviews, but 
people can sometimes very much misinterpret like the name of the book. And I feel like when I first heard it too, it's like, okay, like, but then reading into it and finding out what it's about, it makes so much more sense. So could you talk about like, what does it mean for you when you say how to win your breakup? Yeah. Well, the book is, it's called win your breakup, how to be the one that got away. I would mess it up too. Don't even worry. (laughs) And yeah, you know, it's funny upon looking at it at first, it's like, oh gosh, you know, this is like another rule book on how to be a tactician, you know, and how to play games and carrot dangle and exploit someone's low self-esteem just so I can get a reaction and feel like I'm one up, one upping and, you know, power struggle and all that. But it's really not. What it is, is this. When you are involved in a relationship with a toxic person, it gets reduced, your your relationship and subsequent breakup gets reduced to something that feels like a game that you have to win in order to emotionally survive and move on. And again, that reduction can only take place if you are involved with someone who gets their validation by exploiting your hunger for theirs. That's how I personally define toxic. Yeah. You know, and it's not about bashing anybody. It's not about hating anybody. You know, there's some people that have had issue with the word toxic. It's like, if I call you an asshole, I don't just think that's what you are. You're that part of the anatomy. You know what I mean? It's just, it's the behavior that, and the energy that's poisoned to my system. And as I write about in the book, you know, I have celiac disease. When I found out I couldn't eat gluten, I was gutted. I love gluten. Who doesn't love gluten? But I had to, at some point, come to terms and acknowledge the fact that for me, it was not good. Did I go on an anti-gluten you know, campaign and tried to get people over to my side? No, I just had to accept it. And I also had to accept that if I was going to eat gluten and ingest it, I was going to have to incur the cost of doing so. But anyway, as far as, as the book goes, breakups with toxic people get reduced to what feels like a game. And it's the only game in the world, a breakup with a toxic person that you will ever win by giving up. You win through withdrawal. You win by saying, you know what? I understand that the real win was losing you. And that's oddly enough where all the things that we don't like to admit that we want, like revenge, all our spiteful feelings, all that actually get satisfied by staying in a place of dignity. And, you know, when you watch a movie, it's the most interesting to watch someone that doesn't speak a lot and acts a lot, right? And it's compelling to watch someone when they're just like, you know what? I no longer give a fuck about what doesn't matter. No one is going to mess with me again. And it's even more compelling to watch and exciting after they got knocked to the ground and left for dead. And so that's what the book is about. The title is very, you know, clickbaity. I get it. But it really is how to win a breakup. You know, if someone's going to reduce a breakup to a game, which toxic people do, you're going to win. Yeah, I love that. I think not to constantly bring it back to AA, but there's like the surrender to win kind of saying, which I love because it's like, you're not- Oh, I've never heard that. Can you share that? Yeah. Surrender to win is, you know, this idea that surrendering means you lost the war. If we lost the war, we're surrendering kind of a thing. But when it comes to fighting something that, has there's no win like you can't win if you fight it kind of a thing and it's like this like I can't win against alcohol completely surrendered to that it's the same thing with you know gluten for you alcohol to me I love that people drink if you can do it safely I love that for you but to me there's no winning against it so I win when I surrender to it and it's the same thing against and then I've learned through time it's like it's the same thing for pretty much anyone else like all I can fight I can't fight like I don't have control over anyone but myself. So anytime I'm trying to fight someone, something, the best way to do it is, you know, to surrender to it. And just all I can do is control myself. And and that's how I can get myself better and in a better place. Definitely. And, you know, I, I work with a lot of pro athletes and I think about some of the best athletes in the world, right? And they didn't get to their status by nitpicking their losses. They didn't get to their status by saying, oh, no, that that wasn't right. No, they didn't really beat me. No, no. They took the loss. And because of that, 
they were able to elevate in a way that their peers were not. And so I think that coupled with the point that you just drove home, it's you win through withdrawal. You win yeah. by saying, okay, I'm, I'm not participating anymore. Yeah. What do you think about this whole idea? And I hear this a lot from people of, you know, love is worth fighting for, for the, you know, I feel like in society, there's like this big message that we're supposed, that you're supposed to fight for relationships. Relationships are work, you know, all of these, like, I think very BS kind of things, especially in this realm. I do think relationships take work, but they don't take fighting necessarily. Could you share like your thoughts on kind of that societal idea that we're supposed to fight for the person we love? I think that's a beautiful sentiment. I choose to see it in a positive way in the sense of, I don't think you should fight for a relationship that's abusive. I don't think you should fight to keep a relationship where you're being gaslit and manipulated and reduced to questioning your reality and your worth and your need for being on the planet. I I don't think that's right. But I also think in a time where there's never been more distractions and it's never, ever been harder to date than it is now. I think there's something to be said for meeting somebody. And if they're a good person, treating them in the relationship as though that's my only option ever. We've got Mm -hmm. to make it work. We've got to do this for each other. And if it's mutual, that's about one of the best things that can happen to you in life. If you want a relationship and that's what you want, you want a healthy relationship. So I see it in the sense of, yeah, that is worth fighting for. But in the environment of abuse and the things like you talk about and I talk about and, you know, playing games and tactics and carrot dangling, absolutely not. That's not worth fighting for. That's not worth anything. But do I think that if you're in a great relationship and it's worth fighting to keep that amidst all the distractions that we have with, you know, social media and apps and all kinds of stuff? Yeah, I do think that's worth it. Yes. And I feel like the key word you said is like, it's mutual. But if someone says like, I'm breaking up with you, I don't want to be with you anymore. You fighting that notion will, I mean, at least in my experience, because I was definitely someone that loved to, well, my therapist calls it like this, like conquering idea that like, if I can get someone to love me, then I'm worthwhile kind of a thing. So I spent a lot of time arguing with people for them to see my value. And that is very much a losing game. And every time I did it, it lowered my self-esteem. It did not raise my self-esteem. Yeah, I can definitely relate. I mean, for me, it was, it wasn't just that like I needed someone to see my value. It's like I needed somebody who was incapable of seeing their own value to see my value. I needed somebody who Mm. was so like personality transplant. I needed that to feel significant. Like, wow, they changed for me. You know, it's this whole thing that all fairy tales are built off of, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey, all this stuff that, that we get really hooked to because it's like, wow, you know, there's an evolution, there's a transformation there. And that's amazing. But where we get a little lost is that, you know, another person's value or lack thereof will never just jumpstart a personality transplant, bad or good. Yeah. They can only do that within them. Yeah. You know, you definitely provide a lubricant for someone to, you know, level up or show their true colors if they're not that great, but it, you can't, you don't have that much power. Yeah. And it's really not, it gets exhausting after a while. It's like, oh my gosh, like I don't want to have to work this hard to, you know, get a drop from an empty well. And the reason why we're attracted to those dynamics is because of undealt with trauma. That's all. Yeah. You actually, I wanted to read, you posted something, I think a couple of weeks ago, and I had to bring it up on here, but you wrote their unavailability is a turn on only when your need to be good enough for them to change is greater than the understanding that you're already enough. And I was like, if I had read that like 10 years ago, like I would have taken, you know, and really understood that because I do think in some ways like this, this chase of emotional unavailability can be very, I know it for me, it was very toxic for me to like be and with addicting. some, very addicting, very addicting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because I would, it was like, I was constantly keeping this, this scoreboard in my mind of like, 
okay, they asked, you know, like they asked me to go to this thing with their friends. That's like a point for I'm win. I'm winning. I'm going to get them eventually. And then, you know, then I don't hear from them for three days because I'm not in a relationship with them and they don't really owe me that. And then it was like, that's a negative on my scoreboard there. So it is very addicting and it causes such intense obsession. Oh, it's crazy. And it just unglues you. And then you start equating the level to which it unglues you to their, you know, irreplaceability when it's really not their value. It's all, you know, it's you shining your light on them and just marveling at the fact that they're illuminating. That's what's happening. Yeah. And realizing I had someone tell me once that like someone could shower me with compliments 24 hours a day because I didn't believe it about myself and I didn't feel like I was worthy of those compliments, it would never be enough. Like I would be like this bottomless vessel for compliments and they would just fall out the bottom because I I didn't believe it in myself. And it wasn't until I was able to get to a point of knowing my worth, having self-esteem that I was able to, first of all, realize I don't want someone that's not available. I don't want to chase. I'm worthy of someone that can, without questioning it, commit and want to be with me. Definitely, definitely. And you know, it's also an adjustment in your core values because once you heal your trauma, the values start to go in line. And it's like, you know what? It's not cool to date someone who's like a player and likes to, you know, have 500 people on deck. It's not cool to do this or to do that or, you know, whatever it may be. So you start getting very real about your values and you start getting a little bit more confident as you build progress in maintaining those values. And then you start where, you know, the sweet spot to be attracted to what's good for you instead of what triggers you into just constantly trying to be good enough. And the thing that most people don't realize is everything that they claim to want, the type of partner they claim to want, if they're not dating that type of partner, most likely they can claim to want that partner all they want, but they would be bored by that partner. They wouldn't be attracted to that partner because yeah. it's the hot, cold, up, down, yes, no, Jekyll, Hyde, that it's that intensity. And I think one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made in my life, and I've made a lot, is mistake intensity for like a soulmate intimate connection. It's just not. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, I've been with my husband now for a while and and there were times where things felt, I'll say boring because it wasn't yeah it was consistent and secure and like there wasn't fighting and you know there were times where I second guessed a lot of a lot of that stuff and it wasn't until I got to you know like you said the trauma getting to the core of why is this you know a deeply implanted desire of mine to be in this chaotic situation you know once I learned why that was, that's no longer, I don't want chaos in my life. And it's the same thing with friends. And like, I know you talk a lot about like just toxic people in your life. I mean, I look at like the friends that have dropped off over the years and I can see it's a direct result of my growth. And I feel like that's a great thing to have is, you know, being able to see the people that come in and out of your life as this mirror of your progress. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. One thing I feel like that you're very famous in your blog for talking about is the white horse. And I would love if you could, you know, share that with the listeners here for those who aren't familiar with with you and your work. Definitely. It's a concept my mother came up with. And it's just stay on your white horse. Your white horse is emotional intelligence. It's a place of non-reactivity. And when you think of you know, the knight in shining armor on his white horse, he has tunnel vision for what he's after. He doesn't get off the white horse. He doesn't, you know, it's just, you stay on your white horse, you stay in a place of non-reactivity. And, you know, reactivity is what toxic people, it's what they live off of. It's what they operate from a place of the ego. And the ego, I mean, the caviar to that ego is your reactivity. And it's in the moments when you want to react the most that you just stay on your white horse, don't get off. And if you do get off and you do 
react and you do disembark like we all do at times, like I still do, you know, use the shame, the anger that you may feel toward yourself, all of that to just get back on and stay on. But you will never, ever regret not being reactive. And that's what staying on your white horse is all about. Yeah, I feel like, you know, if we're speaking in specific terms to breakups, and I think, you know, just hearing about some of the the things that people are dealing with with their exes post breakup, I feel like the reactivity is also applies to when, you know, an ex sends something really nice. I miss you. I'm thinking about you. Giving into that is also like pouring your energy back into their atmosphere and it's going to happen where you're talking to them and then all of a sudden it switches and it's I don't want to be with you anymore. So I feel like any kind of energy that you're giving back into an ex is something that will take you off that white horse. Yeah. And you know, when you're a people pleaser, which a lot of people are who are with toxic people, I know I was, when you're a people pleaser, it's going to be really hard to not respond to those nice messages. It's going to be really hard not to do that. But, you know, when you don't click on an ad on your computer because you know it's a virus, it's kind of like that. the same thing. You just, yeah. you don't go there and you don't owe anyone anything. And anyone that thinks you are a bad person, you're immature, they try to make you feel guilty for recognizing yourself in a loving, respectful, reasonable, healthy manner does not deserve to be in your life. And if they messed up that badly and you know, you're know you not responding or you guys have broken up and they don't understand why you wouldn't respond, that's all the closure that you need because mm -hmm. they need you to have no boundaries in order for the relationship to be on their terms, which is you know, what it always is. And so, you know, I, I think that that's really important to keep in mind as well. You don't owe anyone anything. Yeah. And I wanted to bring this up earlier and I forgot, but I feel like the, the idea of toxic to me requires a level of self-knowledge. You know, for me, like I will call myself a recovering people pleaser, but it was a very, very big part of my life for a long time. And it showed up a lot in relationships where I would lend out money, like let people, you know, stay at my house. They have nowhere to, you know, I was just constantly putting other people's needs ahead of my own. So for me, I had to realize that someone who would take advantage of my people pleasing is toxic to me. I need someone who will not take advantage of that. And that goes for friends. That goes for family members, honestly. Like certain family members have, you know, done that. And I've had to deal with that in different ways. But I think having a level of self-knowledge is really important for that. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It is so important to share your thoughts and feelings while going through a breakup, especially if it's something you're feeling any guilt or shame around. I know whenever I'm struggling with a certain thought or situation and I keep it to myself, it gets heavier and heavier and feels harder and harder to manage. I truly believe we are as sick as our secrets. Therapy has always been a safe space for me to have a judgment-free zone to get things off my chest. Whether it's something from my past, a current struggle, or something I'm anxious about in the future, I always feel lighter when I'm able to share something that feels scary. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash heartbreak today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash heartbreak. If you are a listener of this podcast, you know I warn about how your phone can either be a great tool or a huge obstacle when it comes to getting over your breakup. Instead of spending time on your phone trying to figure out what your ex is up to, why not spend some time engaging in a super fun mystery game that will help take your mind off your breakup? June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. 
I am such a big mystery and puzzle fan, so this game has been so fun for me to get into. When I'm looking for a little escape from reality during the day or a way to relax that doesn't involve social media, it's been so fun to use my brain in a new way by diving into Joom's captivating quest and engaging my sense of observation to find the hidden clues. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. A question I get asked all the time is, is it normal for a breakup to feel more intense during my period? And the answer is yes. PMS is already so hard to deal with. And then you throw a breakup into that. And I know for me, PMS can make me feel anxious, exhausted, starving, and sad. Not a great combo. And that's why I love using and recommending Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth, which can make PMS easier to manage and has helped reduce those anxious feelings and low moods I experience around my period. And fun fact, a bottle is sold every 24 seconds. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens, which help the body adapt to any stressors like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. Hormones can make us feel so out of whack, and I agree with the most commonly used phrase in their 17,000 reviews, which is that it does make you feel like yourself again. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code HEARTBREAK at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code HEARTBREAK for 15% off today. Yeah, you know, and good people can also just get carried away a little bit. You know, you open an all-you-can-eat buffet and Mm -hmm. they'll keep eating until there's no food left. And they don't mean to, but it's also worth noting that there are people who I don't think are are necessarily toxic, but they're so starved. If you have it out, you know, and they yeah. will take and take and take. And it's imperative that you send, set boundaries with those people. Yeah. It's imperative. And also, one thing I don't talk about in my book, but I think it's it's worth discussing is just your point of reference. You know, if you and I got food from, let's say we just got some street meat, you know, on the side of the street in a cart and it could be really, really great. And, but that's all we've ever had. And then someone says, oh, I know a place, you know, called In-N-Out Burger. It's phenomenal. And we go and it's like, wow, this is just mind blowing. I don't ever want to eat anything else. Right. Yeah. But think of all the other incredible food that's out there. No disrespect to In-N-Out. But there are some even more enjoyable ways to get your calories in. And a lot of people don't take the time to look at their point of reference. It's like, okay, Mm. I am pedestooling this all and that's okay. That's okay. But it's because of where I came from or the last relationship. And just because this person, I'll do an extreme example, doesn't physically abuse me and they're very kind to me physically in that regard. I don't need to pedestal them to kingdom come. They're emotionally abusing me. And you shouldn't pedestal anyone anyway. But your point of reference is something that I never realized until years later that I was just mind blown by very basic things. Yeah. I mean, my pattern was going after emotionally unavailable people. And then when I finally was like, I'm done with that, I started dating someone who was very open to commitment was not a great partner, like did not prioritize my time, was not into quality time, did not prioritize my family, which is very important to me. But all I was like, I just can't be with someone who can't commit. You know, I was like so tunnel visioned in that way. And I love that, that point of reference thing. And I think a lot of it comes down to having that sense of humility and remaining teachable and knowing that like my experience is not, not the only one. And I'm selling myself so short and being you know, close-minded to think that that's the best that I can ever have, you know? Yeah. I mean, a lot of the time too, it's, it's just subconscious. It's like we go from one thing to the next and we, we yeah. don't, really, we don't really take the time. And that's what I'm all about. Just, just take a breath, take a minute to just see, you know, where you're at. You've got way more power than you think. You've got way more control than you think. And a lot of the time, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I was at a point in my life where I had incredible friendships, like actually really great friendships. Professionally, I was good. Everything was good. It was just romantic relationship wise. Mm -hmm. It was messed up or it was just the friendship or it was just, you know, business relationships. And I think, I don't know about other people, but I think I was kind of on a subconscious level creating that 
so that it would perpetuate my victim mentality and the stuff mm. that happened to me would then become self-fulfilling. Well, I'm mm. not enough. Well, you know, this will just, I'm just doomed in this regard. And when you create such a contrast, it's like, well, all my friendships are healthy. My job is great. It's just this, you know, it, it's a real slippery slope to become self-fulfilling. Yeah. And I feel like our, you know, our brain is always looking for confirmation of our beliefs because that's how, you know, we stay sane is like my beliefs are our reality. And, and I know, I think people who, when they're going through the breakup and they, you know, they say that was my dream partner. There's no one else out there for me. You know, I'll tell them like, it's okay to feel that way, but just stop saying that. Like, let's at least open our minds and say like, I'm so devastated by losing this person, but I'm not going to go as far to say that they're the only, like, I'm never going to find someone else. But that was the only kind of connection I'm ever going to get just because it can be very powerful when you start thinking that and operating from that belief. I agree. I would love to get, because I know so much of what we're we're talking about is this idea of like self-esteem, self-worth for people that, you know, are going through a breakup and maybe, and don't have, they're not ready to date. So they don't have like the relational way to work through boundaries to gain self-esteem. What's your biggest like tips for working on self-esteem, self-worth when someone is, you know, on their own navigating a breakup? Start really small. Just follow through with one little tiny promise that you make to yourself. Just anything. It could literally be anything. Mm -hmm. I'm going to not have caffeine for three days. See how you feel. I'm going to wake up half an hour early and just try something I've never tried before. Just little tiny things that can progress to progress. And then once you become... Uh, protective of that progress. It's like, okay, I've got something here. You know, you just gain a little bit of traction. And also, you know, acknowledge the parts of you that are vibrating. It's like a guitar string just got plucked and you're just vibrating, vibrating, vibrating. And it's okay to feel your way through it. It's okay to have spiteful feelings. It's okay to want to play a game. It's okay to want to react. Don't punish yourself and don't tell yourself, I cannot look at social media. I have to block them. You know, in my opinion, that's why restrictive diets fail. It's like, I can have the donut at any time if I want the donut or whatever it is that someone says don't eat, you know, if it's a restrictive diet. But the mentality is what messes you up. And that's why these companies end up making so much money. You know what I mean? It's like, you can have that at any time. But if, if you take the time to work on the rewiring, you won't be in this self-imposed like timeout corner. You won't be feel like you're being punished. You won't feel like you're in a prison cell. So it's like, I could do that, but I don't want to because that's not healthy for me. I could go eat gluten right after this interview if I wanted to, but I would have to incur the cost of it. And it's not something I want to incur. You know, I, I go to the shopping mall. There's all kinds of things that I want. There's all kinds of things I feel as though I'm deserving of. You know, I can't afford the... necklace at Cartier or whatever, let's just say. But what stops me from stealing it? Well, I can't incur the cost. I can't Mm -hmm. incur the reputational cost. I can't incur the cost of robbery. I can't, you know, I can't do that. And we do this so much in our lives that I think when we're unable to do it relationally, it just feels that much more shameful and we get that much more paralyzed. You know, we were all masking up during the pandemic. No one had a problem with it. I mean, I had a friend and we walked on the beach feet apart and there was no one around us. And we were both in masks at one point, you know, and it's like no one questioned anything. But man, if you decide to mask up with your mental health and protect your mental health, a lot of people will have a problem with it, especially if they're used to you being their doormat. Mm. Yeah. And I heard you on another podcast talking about, and it resonated so deeply with me, but you talked about this idea of like, I don't know if this is exactly what you said, but this is how I interpreted it. Like I'm a very competitive person. I love to win. I've been competitive since I was a kid. I have four brothers and it's okay to harness that part of me, but just doing it, like putting my energy in the right place. Like if I was going through a breakup, I could use my competitiveness to make myself better instead of just saying like, 
you're not here to win. You're like, you're not allowed to be competitive. You're not allowed to harness your anger. You're not allowed to do any of this stuff. You just need to be okay with the breakup as it is. But no, it's okay to be competitive. It's okay to have an ego and use it towards, you know, staying on my white horse or getting back up on my white horse. And I just really liked that like authentic way of going through a breakup instead of just having to say, no brain, you just need to let go and not oh, allow and any of the other well feelings. and go in peace. Yeah. It, yes. That's very hard for me because if someone hurts me, dishonors me repeatedly, or I do that to someone, I hope they don't wish me well. You know, I definitely wouldn't wish them well. And the goal is to get to indifference. But at first, I mean, my gosh, that's just how you're going to feel. And it's almost like saying it's, you know, it's okay to put gasoline in your gas tank. It's it's okay to want revenge. It's yeah. okay to want to win. Yeah. That's totally fine. There's just a dignified way to go about it. Yeah. I love that. I meant to ask this in the beginning. I actually had a question that came up in my my Facebook group and it it felt like you were the perfect person to ask this, but someone said, does anyone else wonder if they were the toxic one in the relationship or if they were just brainwashed by being told everything was their fault chronically? And this has actually been something that's been coming up a lot in DMs and stuff of people who believe that the breakup was entirely their fault or they, what if I'm the problem and I don't know it? Do you have any thoughts on that? I tend to think like, toxic people don't necessarily do a great job acknowledging that they're toxic. So I feel like if you have the awareness of it, it's probably not you that's being toxic, but I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. I mean, you know, well, first of all, are these people coming from toxic relationships? Yeah. That's the thing. I think people are being gaslit into thinking that it was not a toxic relationship, but you know, I feel like if you're constantly being told that you're toxic by a partner, I don't think that's a very great relationship. Well, I mean, I don't think that's a very great partner. If if someone's yeah. going to tell me every day I'm toxic, why don't they get the fuck out of the relationship? Totally. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's very odd, number one. Number two, I think it's very important to recognize it takes two to tango. You know, I think it's very yeah. important to recognize, even if you didn't do anything that were was overtly, you know, outwardly, directly disrespectful, you know, or deceitful, you tolerated things. You tolerated things. You gave second, third, fourth chances that were not needed. You gave credit that was not earned. You gave benefits of the doubt where you definitely didn't need to go there again. And that's not healthy, right? So I think it's important to acknowledge that. If you truly have a toxic partner, which it sounds like I agree with you, if someone's going to continue to tell you you're toxic, it sounds as though there's a tinge of deflection you know, yeah. at the very best there. And you're going to run with, okay, am I the, the toxic one? I'm the toxic one. Again, self-fulfilling. It's trauma and an experience that's now become self-fulfilling because as long as you're the toxic one, you can keep listening to the podcasts and the TED Talks and reading the books. And, you know, I, I don't put anything out there and I know you don't either. Your stuff is super high quality, and uh, you're putting it out there for the right reasons to get people dependent on me. I write that book and I said it in the book for you to get all the concepts and then give it to someone who needs it. Totally. You know, I don't yes. want you to keep coming back to me. I want to get yeah. invited to your wedding. I want to get an email saying, you know, you're, you got over this and are living an incredible life on your terms. But yeah, I've, I've found that the times that I really, really just feel this insane weight where it's like, okay, I was the one, they, they were giving me all these chances. They tried so hard, but I know deep down that I was dishonored and disrespected and I was questioning my value just as a human being throughout yeah. the relationship. I'm going a little overboard. You know, I mean, it's okay. And if you're that concerned with taking responsibility for your toxicity, you cannot be a hypocrite and not view your toxic ex the same way with the same accountability. That is so important. That is very, very important to say. Like, you have to give the same credit to yourself that you're giving to other people. Definitely. And I think, you know, people have a big issue with hypocrisy. I mean, I am sure I will be a hypocrite in the future. I've definitely yeah. been one in the past. You know, it it happens, right? But if you're going to be so firm on something, and that's why I'm never, I'm never uh, like unwavering and, you know, this is who I am. And th because yeah. I'm, inevit I'm inevitably going to mess up. 
You know, I I know both sides of the coin. I have been very toxic, very selfish, you know, as a friend, as a romantic partner, even as a family member. And I see what I've done. I see why I've done it. But I just try to, as I said earlier, just be a better person every day. It doesn't mean that, you know, I'm not going to mess up or anything like that. But a lot of people are very concerned with, oh, you know, there's a discrepancy here or, you know, that doesn't add up. And if you're that concerned with it, you really need to be that way on all ends and not give your ex a special privilege or adjustment. Yeah. And I think it's reflected so much in the way we would talk to a friend who was going through a breakup versus the way we would talk to ourselves when we're going through a breakup. When it's ourselves, it's, I can't believe you did this. You should, you know, you never should have done this or you should have done that. Or if it's a friend that's going through it, it's like, let me give you a hug. Like, let's, you know, let's cry about it. Let me hear you talk about it. It's going to be okay. It's like, we just don't give that honor to ourselves so often. For sure. Yeah. And also just to be very mindful of how we talk to friends. Like if a friend tells me they completely, you know, made a fool of themselves during a breakup, I'm not going to tell them, oh, it's okay. You yeah. know, I'm going to say, gee, that was really bad. You know, I've been there. I've done it. But there's a way. This is actually good. Okay. Because there's a way that if you decide to make the adjustment now and get on your white horse, that past crazy behavior is going to provide such a contrast to the crickets they're going to hear. It's okay. But I think a lot of the time, you know, we just don't want to hear it anymore if the friend keeps going on and on or whatever. And we're like, yeah, yeah, you're fine. You know, or it's okay. Don't worry about it. And everyone's worried about, you know, you don't want to hurt anybody. You don't, and especially when they're fragile, but I think it's also important to, to be a true friend to yourself. You have to be one to other people and to be one to other people, you need to be honest. Yeah. Kind in your honesty, not brutal, but honest. Yeah. And I think, I think there's, once I realized that owning my part in a situation felt so empowering because it meant there was something I could do and my ability to feel good and do good did not rest in the hands of someone else. That was such a big shift for me. And, you know, it is, it gives you so much power to recognize like, okay, yeah, I didn't, you know, in the case of when I was with a narcissist, like there was a lot of wrong on his end, but my wrong was I stayed with this person for a long time. I stayed with them years past when I should have left. And, you know, I changed into a person that I was not proud of to, you know, mind you, survive within the relationship. But that was also, you know, something that I did not like about myself. And so I was able to change that moving forward. Like I can't, you know, ensure that no one else in the world is going to be mean to me, but I can sure control the fact that like I won't put up with it anymore. Definitely. Exactly like I talk about in my book, you know, think of yourself as a prestigious bank. Just because you have a security system installed, that doesn't absolve the world of bank robbers. It just controls the level of comfort that someone feels when they're standing at your door wanting to rob you. That's wow. it. All you can do is control comfort levels. You can't control what people say to you. You can't control what people do to you. But you can definitely control how comfortable they feel doing what they do, saying what they say. And I think you just drove home an incredible point that if you are in a relationship, whether it's good, it's bad, it's abusive, it's toxic, whatever kind of relationship you're in, if one person has self-awareness and one person does not have self-awareness, it'll never work. Because, you know, what I see a lot is if someone's blaming themselves and saying, was I the toxic one, this, that, they're trying to have self-awareness for two people. You can't do that. Yeah, that was a great point. I didn't even realize that it related to what I said, but yeah. You passed me the ball. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good back and forth. But yeah, and you can't do, have self-awareness for two people. You can't do the relational work for two people. It's like all you can do is, is work on yourself. And I love that comfort level point. I think that's so important. It's like, you know, and the first thing that came to mind for me is in the area of gossip. You know, it's like when some people come up and and try to start gossiping or shit talking about something and automatically people kind of put their guard up and it's like, no, that's not like a welcome thing here. And then the person gets very uncomfortable and like, you know, it's it's the same thing with like any kind of interaction that people have. What kind of behavior will you provide comfort for in your life? And and what will you provide discomfort? And a lot of it's not even direct verbal saying, I'm not okay with this. A lot of it's just the way you operate, the way you hold yourself. 
Yeah. I really don't think you need to communicate so much in, in this kind of situation or circumstance. You know, I think you'll listen to a lot of, not you, but you know, anybody will listen to a lot of material and we get really pumped up and then it's like, okay, I want to communicate my boundaries. I want to communicate, but really you just do it through dignified action. You don't don't need to communicate it. And I, I talk a lot about unconditional love and how I really just don't believe in it other than unconditionally loving your child, your pet, you know, an elderly grandparent or somebody that Anybody that is anybody or being that is voiceless and cannot advocate and is fully dependent on you, of course, right? But as far as unconditional love goes in romantic relationships, I really don't believe in it. I think the love, if it is good, it will feel unconditional because the conditions, without even being verbalized, are consistently met. They're not tested, right? Yeah. And so you feel like, wow, this is incredible. But you both know that you're operating from such unconditional love for yourselves as individuals that if that condition is tested, you know, you will say something or you will act accordingly, however you need to. And that's why love, the greatest loves feel and love stories feel unconditional, but they're actually not because it's two healthy people who have an unconditional love for themselves. And I know that can sound pretty impossible like Natasha. Okay. Unconditionally love myself. All I'm talking about is just recognizing your value, your basic value as a human being on planet earth, which even if you are in a place of, you know, depression or you're not feeling great, you do every day to an extent, right? You get up, you brush your teeth, you, you know, go to your wonderful site and all of your courses and you try to get better and feel better and understand like little things like that. Or you go on your Facebook group. This is someone who's recognizing their value to some extent saying, you know, I'm better enough that I'm going to just at least do this or do that. So that's all I'm saying is just, just continue to recognize your value and see what happens in your life. I love that. I love that. You have such a poetic way of putting things. It's very moving. It's very moving. Well, thank you so much for for coming on and and sharing. I feel like we could I want to keep going. I I know. I feel like we could keep going. So maybe we'll have to do a part two. But I hope everyone goes out and gets your book when your breakup. Could you talk about where people can connect with you? Social media, your your blog? Of course. Yep. They can go to natashadamo.com. To get my book, you can get it anywhere books are sold, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Kobo, all of that. And you can find me on Instagram at Natasha Adamo, same handle for Twitter. And I will go ahead and link that all in the show notes here. But thank you so much again, Natasha. This has been such a fun conversation and hopefully we can do it again. The pleasure has been all mine. I'm a huge fan. Keep doing what you're doing. You're amazing. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you loved it, I hope you'll leave a review and share with your friends. If you're not already following me on Instagram, head to at your breakup bestie where I'm sharing new content almost every day. To join our Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with thousands of people from all over the world going through breakups, head to the link in the show notes. And don't forget to check out my online courses for more in-depth help through your healing journey. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself, stay connected with loved ones, and the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise. 